This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Two thousand nineteen's coming to a close, and we're proud to be celebrating five years and more than three hundred episodes of Fashion Is Your Business. In two thousand twenty, we're going to have many new exciting episodes that offer everything you've loved about the show over the years. Some conversations are timeless, as relevant today as they were when they first occurred. Over the next few weeks, we will continue to give you a chance to listen again, or maybe the first time, to some of the standout, timeless conversations we've had over the last five years. One of these is a very entertaining and inspiring conversation about partnering music and brands. Marcy Allen, president of Mac Presents, a music experiential agency which bridges the gap between corporate and music, and musician, entrepreneur, and philanthropist Taylor Bennett join the Fashion Is Your Business team for the most applause-laden interview in the show's history. I think you're going to enjoy this one. This is, was a particularly fun episode. <laughs> You are listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Recorded on location. You don't know you have a name. The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience and features music by recording artist Casey McQuillan. To find Casey online, just Google Casey, M-C-Q-U-I-L-L-E-N. And now, on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fashion Is Your Business Live, recorded in front of a live studio, strike that, a live theater audience, this episode is recorded on location at Subculture in New York City. Subculture is a beautiful, just visually stunning theater space with a bar and just a tremendous facility and a great crew and also an incredible theater audience. Thank you very much, everybody. What a great crowd. I should mention that Subculture is just one of many creative spaces available for your next event or meeting, from video shoots and photo shoots to performances and pop-ups, all through our partner, PeerSpace. And to make your next event amazing, start with an amazing space from PeerSpace at PeerSpace.com. All right, not only is the space amazing, but so is our, not just one, but two guests today, our first guest and uh, center stage right now is the extraordinary Marcy Allen, who is president of Mac Presents. Mac Presents is a music experiential agency that negotiates high-profile sponsorships between the world's leading brands and artists. Now, throughout Marcy's career, she's created custom sponsor-driven programs with some of the world's largest brands like AT&T, Delta, Samsung, City, Jeep, Southwest, Bud Light, Verizon, Miller, Chrysler, Microsoft. You get the idea. With uh, artists like, I don't know, Foo Fighters, Rolling Stones, Green Day, Billy Joel, John Legend, Imagine Dragons, Keith Urban. You know, beginners. 
She is an 11-time nominee and six-time winner of Billboard's Concert Marketing and Promotion Award. It's been named to Billboard's Women in Music list every year since 2010. And Variety selected Marcy to its 2015 Power of Women New York Impact list, which represented the most powerful women in entertainment and on and on and on. How about a big welcome for Marcy? Thank you for joining us, Marcy. We're very, very happy to have you. Thank you. I think I feel like I'm getting ready to enter a boxing ring from the way announced me. By the way, I said two two guests, didn't I? So later on in the show, Marcy will be joined on mic by Taylor Bennett, who is a musician, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. And has an incredible partnership with Marcy, which we'll talk more about later. Guess what, everyone? The show starts right now. Oh, hold some of that. <laughs> That's funny. Hi, my name's Marcy Allen. I'm president of Mac Presents. And what I love about fashion is that it makes you not always be prepared clearly as I'm in a short dress on a top of a stage hoping that I don't flash everyone. From the fashion tech capital of the world, New York City, this is Fashion Is Your Business Live. Recorded in front of a live audience and produced by Mouth Media Network with Pavan Ball, Rob Sanchez, and Mark Rako. And now, here are your hosts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business Live on location at Subculture in New York City with our partner, Peer Space. And, of course, I am one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and directly to my left, uh, closest to me is Mr. Pavin Ball. Hey, Pavin. Hey, and furthest from me on the left is Mr. Rob Sanchez. Hey, y'all. Hey, Rob. And, of course, joining us directly in between both of them is Marcy Allen, president of Mac Presents. Welcome to the show again. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're, we're really, truly honored that you're with us. Uh, let's start out like we always do, a kind of a two- or three-minute Reader's Digest thumbnail sketch of who you are and what you do. Great. Uh, first and foremost, I'm not from New York. Uh, I'm a uh, Southern Belle debutante sorority girl by way of Nashville, Tennessee, raised by two grandmothers. So absolutely a bit of a non-traditional uh, childhood. And went to 16 schools before I was in fifth grade, traveled around the world, and really... I guess at a young age learned that I was on my own. And so started my first company when I was 25. This is my second company. Um, decided to move to New York City uh, 13 years ago. Excuse me, seven years ago. I've had the company 13 years um, from Nashville. And Mac Presents is obviously based here in New York City and Flatiron. And we're a music experiential agency. And is the eleva- is the, as my grandmother used to say, you have to have an elevator version. If you can't tell me in a sentence what you do, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, we, we bridge the gap between corporate America and the music industry, period. <laughs> Great. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think I'll lead off the questioning if I can. Um, so right now you're, you're dealing with two industries, music and 
Everything not music. Else, everything else, yeah. <laughs> uh, and fashion. they speak different languages. Exactly. So the question really is, how do you navigate Very so carefully. actively between two industries? Not even just what's the secret, but what have you learned, what have you encountered, and, and what have you had to undertake to make that even possible? I think it's interesting because I will have been in the music industry almost 25 years and there's just very few people that have a foot in both worlds that have the respect of managers and agents and record labels while also having the respect of, of brands. And we typically do our deals direct with the brand. We don't, um, work with a lot of agencies. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't It just, you know, predominantly all of our deals, um, have originated with brands because they come to us because we're really known as being in this niche. And when I started Mac presents in my dining room, um, in Nashville in 2004, it was to bridge the gap. And, and I saw that there was this big chasm where, you know, you would have a manager receive a phone call from a brand saying, Hey, I'm interested in sponsoring your band. I have $500,000, but you and I both know that doing the deal is only 1% of it. Once you've executed the deal, you've done 1%. The other 99% is bringing the deal to life. And I think that's where we excel. We're an experiential agency, a staff of 21 um, with offices in Chicago and New York. And I have uh, two accounting people that work out of Nashville. But it's really about telling a story. You know, people say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a storyteller. Um, Casey Lehman, who's my colleague with me, um, a Texas girl by way of Nashville, where she went to Belmont, has been with me for over five years. And she rolls her eyes when I start telling my stories. But that's what I'm good at. And it's it's been since I was a little girl. I mean, my grandmother would say, you could sell ice to Eskimos. But it, it was true. <laughs> I mean, I started selling. I was selling car wash. Like I would go and and try to get people to let me wash their car or clean their house or deliver Christmas presents when I was 14 and 15 years old, um, just as a way to earn, earn extra cash. So I think it's about having the knowledge on both sides. And I think another thing that's really important in the music industry is, and where there's a misstep is people say, so do you represent the brand or do you represent the artist? And I say, neither. I represent the deal because if there is no deal, it doesn't matter who you represent because I want both sides to be happy. I mean, what makes me cringe is when I see bad deals out there. When I say bad deals, I mean ones that are not authentic, ones that don't tell a story, ones that it's like, hi, I'm Marcy and I'm drinking this bottled water without a label, but you should drink it too because I am. That's not what it's about. It's about telling the story about how, you know what, I actually um, handmade the plastic in this bottle and um, all of the money that we're raising by the sale of this water is going back to uh, female empowerment and help women uh, create uh, new businesses. What is the genesis? <laughs> what is the genesis of a deal? When you say Genesis, you mean how it starts, how it's executed. Like Phil Collins, the... like third album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you see, by the way, Sister Studio, he just performed for the first time. Nice. Yeah. Uh, no, I just mean like, so when does it come to you? Like, I mean, it could come from both sides. It could come in any form. So what is the, the catalyst to, to striking a deal? It's, if you don't work for either side. It's so funny because I could sit here and tell you every single deal and how it came about and every story is different. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember sitting in a bar once and having a conversation with someone, uh, Grammy week and realized they were a promoter from Australia. And the next thing you know, um, 
a week later, he calls me, he says, can you get on a plane and come to London to meet with the Rolling Stones? They're looking for someone to sell sponsorships. And I was really fascinated with your story. Okay. So there's always yes. Right. But you know what? I think being in New York for seven years, you know, people say, do you know your neighbors? I don't know one of my neighbors. I don't know anybody um, in my entire building besides my doorman who I sometimes remember his name. And I think that now more than ever, because there's so much opportunity in music and entertainment, you have to talk to everyone. You know, I, I say to my team, every person who calls this office gets a return phone call. I don't care if they have a puppet tour that they're wanting booked, if they have their six-year-old stepdaughter that they think is the next Taylor Swift, they get a return phone call because you just never know when that person or brand or opportunity is going to fall into your lap. And it's it's happened a lot with us. I mean, we share space with probably, well, not probably, the biggest hip-hop agent in the industry, Kara Lewis, CLG. And just with the people that are that are coming through, I mean, I remember when Khalid came into our office and she was like, he's unbelievable. He's army brat from San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. He's 18 years old, this singles location. And, and the next thing you know, I mean, he debuted in the in the top 10 on Billboard on his first album. And that's what but you you have to you have to give everyone a chance. And I think, too, that. You know, people will say, oh, wow, it's so cool. You've been in the industry for, for so many years. Like, you know, uh, how does someone like learn from you? Because I'm sure you don't meet with people that are just starting out in the industry. Actually, that's not true. I'll meet with anybody. Like, And it's my assistant laughs at me because I'll get an email. Someone will say, I met you at this restaurant or I met you and I'd love to sit down. I'm thinking, I'm 37 years old and I'm thinking about... Be, you know, becoming an executive in the music industry, but I meet with them because you just, it's the right thing to do and you have to pay it forward. So, yeah. How do you tell the story of the deal? How do you look at the metrics that are captured, the way that you calculate the ROI? What's the um, way you measure it for the band and what's the way you measure it for the, um, for the actual brand. Well, you just, you hit the point dead on. I mean, whether you're measuring on behalf of the artist or the brand, those are two completely different things. Um, the ROI for the brand could be a lift in sales. It could be a number of impressions. It could be an increase in social media followers, or more importantly, it could just be straight up brand awareness. You know, Coca-Cola doesn't need brand awareness. Um, but when we started working with BlackBerry in 2007, they were known as a B2B brand. They weren't known as a consumer brand. So when we did a global deal with John Mayer, I mean, it really introduced BlackBerry to a whole new world of consumers. And one of the things that I was really proud of on the BlackBerry deal, and sorry to date myself from so long ago, how long I've been doing this, but is that I remember um, Jim Balsili, the CEO at the time, saying he saw an increase in his stock price by almost 20% because of his deal with John Mayer. That, to me, was probably one of the biggest ROIs in in almost 25 years of doing this that I've, that I've ever seen. And I think that's because they were introduced to a space that they had never been in before. They were introduced into enter the entertainment marketing and into mass consumer marketing where before it was, it was, it was pagers. And I mean, yeah. you know, these, these devices that department. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people in the white house used it. That was pretty much what you thought of when you thought of Blackberry. So 
you mentioned that you could sell water to a well, or at least your grandma thinks so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what you need for this stuff, right? I mean, essentially, there's a million ways to the moon, and you have to figure out on the fly what's going to resonate with either side, the artist mm-hmm. side as well as the brand side. Um, what are some of the more creative things that you've used, um, I guess, in your repertoire to, to bring together that um, allegiance? Well, I think, too, and I want to finish one other point, you know, because when you were asking on the ROI, on the artist side, usually it's very simple. They're launching an album. They're launching a tour. Mm-hmm. They're launching a new initiative, whether it's a philanthropic effort, whether it's a new book, whatever, it, whatever project it may be, they're looking for real estate. Okay, because the days of the record labels going out and spending millions of dollars for an album launch or for a concert promoter going out and spending a million dollars to launch a big tour, those days are gone. With album sales in the toilet, even though vinyl sales are popping back up and even cassette sales now are starting cassette? to pop back up. Yeah, they are. Generation Z loving their cassettes. They think it's cool. Throwback. Um, <laughs> I got some mixtapes <laughs> mix that everyone's going to want to have. Slow jams. One, two, three. Hip hop. One, two, three. Well, four, I was. Five. I have two stepdaughters who are 10, or th- 10 and 13, and um, we wouldn't let them watch the show 13 Reasons Why, which the Netflix show, but one of the, they came in at one time and the one question they had, my, my husband started laughing is they're like, what's that? Because it's all the cassettes oh, in, in the show. And he's like, that's a cassette. She's like, what does it do? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, but I, I, so, so I'm sorry. So I know I'm rambling about a bunch of different things. I'm getting excited about this, but one of the things that I think is, is really fascinating about artists and why they are, you have to realize 10 years ago, sponsorship in the music industry was a bad word. You might as well just have said F off. No one wanted to do it. I mean, it was, it was begging. It was pleading. Now, as I say, we have a seat at the adult table. We're able, when we work on behalf of brands, we're getting phone calls two months, six months, depending on what the lead time country artists have a a much further lead time than say rock bands whose lead time is like two weeks. Um, they're like, we're launching a tour and an album and an album release event in 12 days. Do you have $2 million? (laughs) So we're able to bring value to that artist in a way that they can't really get right now. Now, if you're a huge A-level artist, say like when we did Billy Joel, um, uh, at Madison Square Garden, his when he became a, the next franchise there, and we did deal with City credit cards. Um, it's not that that Billy couldn't that needed really any marketing. I mean, every show sells out instantaneous, but he was able to plus up some of his production and things that he wanted to do on this on the show with the help of City and and with their sponsorship over the past few years. That moves the needle for an artist. That's important. So, I just wanted to close that loop. So. I'm going to switch my question altogether. Okay, sorry. Uh, so the 1% is done now of your work? <laughs> yes. Oh now my gosh. What, what type of metrics are you tracking afterwards and what type of um, thresholds are you trying to reach? Again, well, Nielsen is one of our, our biggest clients. Um, we've produced their uh, Grammy party the past few years and um, we've worked closely with them in figuring out how brands can measure success. So again, whether it's a lift in sales, uh, whether it is... Uh, press. I mean, right now I'd say number one, what, what every brand wants is press. It's very hard. I mean, when, when we did the Imagine Dragons, uh, Southwest Airlines, that was a program that I've worked on with my colleague Casey, who's here tonight. Um, it, 
to have over a billion press impressions, you can't even put a mm-hmm. price on that. I mean, that's not even something that a brand could go out and purchase on the open market. So that leads me to, to a quick uh, follow-up question, Marcy, and that is, what do you think is the deal is more about from a brand's perspective? Is it about the influencer of the artist, or is it about the alliance or the alignment, excuse me, with the artist and, and who they are and who they attract? Or how much is it about the cool factor and and being a part of their actual, like, marketing, um, you know, the marketing ethos, the, the marketing messaging? Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't look at an artist as a celebrity influencer ever. Okay. Um, they're not hawking brands. Are That's they not just human do. beings? They are. That's weird. What? It's the, <laughs> they are, and, and they... they they make music and music is probably the most powerful way for a brand to connect to a consumer. Sure. And I think that it's, there's been a lot of just many misconceptions around celebrity influencers. You look at, you know, what happened with Kendall Jenner and Pepsi and you, you look at some of these, um, face plants, I guess is the way I want to say it, that brands have taken. And it's unfortunate because it hurts everyone in our industry. I mean, we don't ever, no one wants to see anyone fail, you know, in our industry. And, and what I would say of why a brand wants to partner with an artist is because they want to tell an authentic story. So if there is a way that the brand can weave into, and I know we'll be talking about it later, but take Urban Outfitters, uh, for example, and the fact that they wanted to do a big promotion around pride month. And so they partnered with Taylor Bennett who before his 21st birthday had um, come out as bisexual. That was a perfect, authentic connection and a story that was being told that wasn't just one sided. It was both on both sides. It was a win. And then we gave a whole built a whole promotion around it um, where he's performing June 23rd in Chicago. And there's this exclusive merchandise that's benefiting uh, glisten. And, and he's coming here tonight. Yes. And <laughs> it's just, but that's what it's about. It's about telling that story. And I, I hate to be so simple, but when I'm on the phone with sometimes artists, but mostly brands and, and they get caught up in their ROI and their jargon. And I understand that you have to sell it upstairs and I understand you have to measure it. But more importantly, we consumers can smell through the fake crap all day long. It has to be authentic. Great. Thank you very much. That's a point we'll stop for and pause for just a moment. And when we come back, we will have much more with uh, the extraordinary Marcy Allen, president of Mac Presents on location at Subculture in New York City. We'll be back with more Fashion Is Your Business Live right after this. Rebecca Fitz. I'm from Warby Parker. 
Hi, I'm Chris Hansen from Ignition One. We are hosts of Retail is Your Business. Retail is Your Business is a weekly podcast covering the intersection of innovation, technology, and business strategy in the world of retail, online and offline, across all industries, with a focus on consumer experience. We deep dive with insiders from industry leaders to cutting edge startup founders. Crucial insights, career journeys, trends, new ideas, and the state and trajectory of the retail industry become accessible with a fun and comfortable morning radio vibe. Listen to Retail is Your Business every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because retail is your business. Welcome back to Fashion Is Your Business Live on location at Subculture in New York City. And, of course, we are here with Marcy Allen, president of Mac Presents. Thank you. So excited a lot of, to be here. We're excited to have you. Um, so a lot of your work in the past has been with enterprise-level or blue-chip companies. Um, some of the work that I've seen now come out of your camp, uh, like you mentioned, Khalid, and uh, it was Forever 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had uh, Chance the Rapper in H&M, H&M and now you have uh, Taylor Bennett mm-hmm. and uh, Urban Outfitters, which, by the mm-hmm. way, congratulations, was announced last week. Thank you. And I would like um, to give a shout out to my colleague, Casey, who's here. That was mm-hmm. actually a deal that she uh, was spearheading. Yo, Casey, where uh, are you Casey, at? Because you nice. got like five shout outs. Where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> no but it doubt. really is. It's about teamwork. And I think, too, well, that being a woman in the music industry, you know, we have to kind of continue to lift each other up. And mm-hmm. so I'm always one to say, like, if I did the deal, I'll be up here be like, I did the mm-hmm. deal. Um, but in this instance, it was really Casey. So so with, with the fashion industry, retail industry, mm-hmm. they have always um, been late adopters to trends in technology and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Uh, partnerships, not so much, but overall later, uh, mm-hmm. more conservative. Um, especially on the luxury side. Mm-hmm. So the, the folks that you've been dealing with now have been more of the fast uh, fashion mass consumer brands. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see luxury playing in this and will they be playing? It's so interesting. We, I just had this conversation with a colleague today. I mean, you look at, you know, Pharrell, Chanel, you, you look at the luxury houses and what they're doing and I think they're missing it. They're, they're missing, they're missing the boat. Um, I think that, it's no, nothing against Pharrell. He's an amazing artist, um, but he's not the next big thing. And there are so many next big things out there. There are so many artists, you know, whether it's, you know, Russ or, um, uh, Maggie Rogers or, you know, obviously Taylor Bennett, Khalid, there's, there's all these artists that are, have this groundswell of support, um, mm-hmm. amongst millennials, but more importantly, generation Z. I mean, generation, generation Z is a group of consumers that brands don't understand, but you know what? One of the most important things, according to Nielsen to generation Z is millennials. No, <laughs> everyone talks about them. I don't know. I figured it was generation Z is <laughs> one of the most important things that they love is fashion mm. and they're missing it. And yeah. so that's why I think that companies such as H&M and Forever 21 and Urban Outfitters, they're recognizing that. So whether they're getting that information from focus groups, from Nielsen, who knows, but they've really stepped up in a way that 
I mean, there just hasn't been, I was, I was, I was actually thinking about it today when I was having this conversation with one of my colleagues, has there been a major luxury brand that has done a deal with a developing artist? Now, when I say developing, there's a difference. There's a developing artist that's playing in the subway. Um, and there's a developing artist such as, you know, Khalid, and you can't even really mm -hmm. call him. I mean, Time Magazine just said um, his album is one of the best of 2017, so it's difficult to call him a developing artist, but he's still, uh, you know, exploding since his, his first album just dropped a couple of months ago. But I think that fashion and music have exploded over the past 12 months in a way that I've never seen in my career. Um, for a long time, you saw music in beer companies and music in cell phone companies and music in soft drinks. And mm -hmm. that was, that was kind of the big, when you sat down with an artist manager, it was like beer, soft drink, auto, financial insurance. That's it. Never was fashion mentioned. But here's the thing too, that in, in the music industry, a lot of times with managers, it's all about the dollar figure. Okay. But fashion brands seem to get a little bit of a hall pass because they're cool. They're, they're a way to reach a mass audience, sometimes even a global audience. Um, they're able to, we're able to get music and the artists name, image, and likeness into a brick and mortar store, whether it be in Europe or the U S or Australia. And so you're seeing these investments, sponsorship investments with large acts, or even if there, it's a smaller act that's exploding at a fraction of what say a Honda or a General Motors is going to pay. And that's because of mm -hmm. the coolness factor, what you were saying earlier, but also it's just because of this this mass awareness that that fashion brings through their socials, through digital, through outdoor, through billboards, through PR, and, and through their stores. What intel or data are you taking in as a team that's identifying the influencer, the artist that you want to work with? Well, it depends. So if a brand comes to us, um, and I'll just use this as an example because it happened the other day, and they said, okay, we're trying to go after – the Heartland. You know, for a long time, the Heartland was ignored by Madison Avenue. Uh, brands only advertise the West and East Coast. And now they've realized, wow, we've got a whole other country out there that that have buying power um, that we need to be recognizing and engaging with. You know, we're able to come and say, okay, here's an artist that has toured all of these markets. Um, you know, not, it's not just about what you sell in New York and LA. It's about what you're selling in Chicago and Dallas and in Oklahoma. And we're able to come and say, here is their demographic. Here's their socials. Here's their reach. Here's how many albums and really align that with a brand. But, you know, brands have got to figure out what's important to them. What are they trying to achieve? Because if they can't tell me what a win is, like I always say, what's going to get you a promotion? What's going to get you that bump? Is it a lift in sales? Is it the fact that you're going to be covered by um, Ben Cesario in the New York Times? Is it tell me what a win is? And if they can't tell me that, it's very difficult for me to do a job. Because when they say this is what a win is, then as much as I want to go and pitch this artist that I love, Seagrid, um, her socials aren't gigantic. I think they're going to get there. But instead, I would come and say, okay, you know what? you got big bucks, you, you need all of these things. Let's go with the big guns. Let's go after a Katy Perry. All right. So Marcy, from your perspective, I know you were talking about from the brand's perspective, what a win is mm -hmm. from your perspective, what's a win. And the reason I'm asking the question is in my mind, 
there's really three people other than you in this equation. There's the artist, there's mm-hmm. the brand, and then, I, I mean, I guess the the mark it could be a marketing consultant involved, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's really the brand and the artist. So, for for the brand and for the artist, there there has to be something both of them are bringing to the table, mm-hmm. other than the money, that makes that marriage happen. Mm-hmm. So, how, what can you say about how an artist can position himself? to be uh, as ripe as possible for consideration for a partnership like this, other than record sales, but there's other aspects that go into it. And then a brand, how can a brand position themselves where their messaging is most likely to align with a, with a, a musician? That's not really how I look at it. Okay. I, I look at, you know, we had a meeting with a manager today and Casey and I were sitting there with a couple of our interns brainstorming on what's the story. It comes down to the story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what uh, Walk the Moon, uh, whose manager we were meet- meeting with, what they're interested in. What's the story that we can build around them? And then what is the br- who's the brand that we're going to go after? And vice versa, if the brand comes and says, here's what a win is, here's our new tagline, here's who we're going after, here's what we're trying to achieve with this new marketing campaign, you tell me any campaign, I can tell you what artist, but I got to know what's important. Is social important? Is PR? Because guess what? I was working on a deal with an artist, had no idea. We got all the way down to like almost to the contract. And he's like, the manager says, you, you know, he doesn't do any interviews, right? No, because the entire program is Mm -hmm. content, is interviews, is – so. what are you talking about? The whole deal went away. So now I'm like, okay, you know, I always say lesson learned, learn something new every day. You got to ask all those questions because you just never know when a brand's going to say, oh, you thought I was going to share this promotion on my social handle, the main social handle? Yeah, no, we don't get to touch that okay, well, you have 35 million followers and that was one of the biggest reasons that the artist is doing this deal because they need promotion around their new album. So then that deal went away. So I'm, I'm interested a little bit in the, the tools and how they're shifting. So you've talked a little bit about social, you've talked a little bit about the storytelling. Um, how are you looking at AR and VR and new ways to integrate brands in and um, on-demand merchandising and, and things like that? How are you looking at this vast landscape that's changing? Oh, you mean of technology? Technology, yeah. Technology is, is a huge unknown. I mean, I, I would be so curious to know who owns a VR headset in this audience. I think I see three hands. That's my point. It, it's a buzzword that so many of our brands, and we've done activations. Um, we did a whole bunch of music festival activations for Miller last summer at GovBall and ACL, and we had VR, but it's like... Wh- I feel like we're just scratching the surface on some of this technology. You know, it's like we had photo booths, then they became gift booths. Now there's these flash booths. Then you saw the really cool photo booth that the Met uh, Gala did this year uh, with Vogue. And it, But I just feel like we haven't really been able to pinpoint what's successful in moving the needle for a brand with technology. They just always sit down. It's like the buzzword. A brand will sit down and go, okay, so we're coming up with our experiential marketing plan. What technology do you do you think that we should do? Well, tell me again what you're trying to achieve because at the end of the day, there having a billboard in Times Square is so huge for an artist. A brand's like, I can do that in two seconds. I have buy time on one of the biggest billboards in Times Square. 
but that's gigantic for an artist. So it's really about sitting down on both sides and that's why we have jobs with artists and with the brand and saying, tell me what's important. So if they say technology, we can come back and come up with a whole bunch of ideas. There was this really cool, um, I can't, I can't remember what state he was from, but you go in and you record your own vinyl album. So while it's not necessarily technology, it's still pretty interactive and you go in and you sing and then it spits out the vinyl album and it's a 45 and you, and it's branded from the festival and you're able to take that. Um, but you know, that's $75,000 for, for one event. So does that move the needle for the brand in a way that they could ultimately go, uh, do a buy on Instagram or, or whitelist on Twitter a particular post on the artist's Twitter page and get more engagement out of that. That's one of the biggest issues that we have is, is using those, those media budgets and ex- experiential taps into those media budgets and, and, and steals that money. So we have to be able to measure that ROI if we're saying, hey, you need to go spend $75,000 on, a, on a, a record booth where you're gonna be, a consumer is going to be able to record a, a vinyl record. So a lot of your work are, is with people that are public figures on both sides, whether they're brand names or, you know, people. Um, I'm wondering for folks that um, have a certain level of clout, high level of talent, even on the brand side. Mm-hmm. So maybe emerging designers, independent boutiques, mm-hmm. uh, things that are seeing traction, direct-to-consumer brands, mm-hmm. things like that. How are they supposed to look at collaboration? How would you advise them? to, to start leveraging so much opportunity. It is not about just being a Samsung or an AT&T. Can you, can you answer two ways then Mm -hmm. answer as if you started a successful direct to consumer brand Mm -hmm. one and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. that's trending online, but hasn't yet gone trunk club. Uh, let's the, even go even further smaller? down. Okay. Yeah, even smaller than Trunk Club. Give me an example. Trunk Club also got bought over by like $300 million. I know, but so, we were talking to Trunk Club three years ago. so Still valued at yeah. $270 yeah. million. Dollars. But I mean, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I am, I'm curious about someone who's, you know, maybe a, a swimwear designer mm-hmm. or uh, an accessories designer that is on the trade show scene mm-hmm. that is seeing a measure of success online. Um, they're growing a company. Um, but they aren't a brand name necessarily mm-hmm. just yet. So I would like you to answer from that position of what would you do if you were them? And then also on the artist side, if you're mm-hmm. an emerging artist that's winning some accolades on like some regional uh, areas, getting some money in the door, um, playing some really great gigs, but mm-hmm. need that extra push to collaborate with brands. So again, it's about telling the story. So I'm going to use your swimwear brand as an example. Sure. So it's um, your swimwear brand. Oh, it's my swimwear yeah. brand. Excuse me. Okay. So I have a swimwear brand. Congratulations. I just, thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> I hope it's a one piece. No. Um, so this swimwear brand that I've started, I'm I'm in Vegas and I'm sitting there and I'm schlepping trying to get every store to to carry my my swim uh, my one piece swim swimsuit and I'm not getting anywhere and I'm not getting any traction. And then I notice that, uh, there's an artist that has over, uh, 200,000 Instagram followers. And she was actually a swimmer when she was in high school. And what she does to relieve stress is she goes and she swims 
And so every weekend when she's not touring, Mm. she's swimming. So you know what? I'm going to reach out to her. So I reach out to her through Instagram and I say, I've started this one piece swim company and I saw that you're a swimmer and I think it would be great for us to work together. And she says, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. I was really wanting to do this, this video, um, this music video and, but I need like $5,000. Um, well, I mean, I have $5,000. So could, do you think there's maybe a way that we could shoot some of the video in a pool and you could be in my, in my swimsuit and then I could share that. And then maybe, maybe we actually go to, um, you know, I don't know, like, could we could put out a press release? Could we talk about how we, we did this together and how we're just starting this groundswell of your music and my one piece swimsuit brand? Thank you. And now you're an artist. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's about what is what. Bo- I mean, this is both, fascinating. This no, is I what mean, do both sides need? It, yeah. it's, it's I hate to say it's simple because then I might not have a job, but it really is simple. It's I think there's so many people that sit down and say I need this. You never start a negotiation with that. You say you what can I do for you? Yeah, what can absolutely. I do for you? Sure. Excellent advice. Uh, before we go to break, just a quick question. There's so many of the artists and so many brands, even young brands, that fit what Pumpkin was talking about. Uh, do you see the possibility of working with basically uh, a bunch of brands, small brands working together, that together they've got buying power, or uh, a bunch of artists that singly don't have enough yet to offer, but as a group they've got so many stories amongst them that they also have the power as a group? Is, is that is that something that young brands or young artists can think about? Because, you know, obviously there's only so many people that are ever going to reach a point in their career, and not everybody has a story like this. But I also think that success success is measured in different ways. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sell a million albums. You don't have to okay. sell a million tickets. I mean, it, you can be an artist and have... 10,000 followers and, and still lead a very successful, happy life. I think that success is so different these days. It's really about the quality of life. It's about family. I mean, I'm a generation Xer and we were all taught and, and all of my friends and I, we, we worked until our fingers were bleeding. You know, we missed, we missed everything in our twenties and thirties. Um, that's not the way that millennials are absolutely. And I think that, you know, putting a group of artists together, I don't think that really makes sense okay. because yeah, I don't, I don't understand how you would, you would do a deal with a brand. You would be like, okay, I have 25 artists and together they have a, a social media reach of 10 million, but like yeah. that, it's, it's really about that individual story and, br- and making sure the authenticity is there and bringing it to life. I, I'm still glad I asked the question, though, because it brought out that point. Good. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back with our final segment, we're going to do two things. The first thing is Marcy will be joined on mic by Taylor Bennett, who is a musician, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. And we're going to talk about his collaboration with Mac Presents and Urban Outfitters. And uh, we're also going to do off-the-grid questions where we get to the more personal side of Marcy and Taylor. Right after this, on Fashion Is Your Business, we will be right back. Never kissed me in the rain. Never watched me break into pieces. I can't mend. So no, I don't want to. 
to laugh? Do you love great interviews with a lot of heart? Do you like good stories? Do you like to hear about life? Well, good news, because if you listen to a show called Funny People Talking, all of that happens, right, Danielle? All of it happens. Every single thing you said on that list and more. Elsie, does any of it not happen? It all happens. Come on, Elsie. It really happens. Okay, well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere. You can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. (laughs) Only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking. You can follow Fashion Is Your Business on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available at fashionisyourbusiness.com and listen and subscribe wherever the best podcasts are found. Welcome back. To Fashion is Your Business Live on location at Subculture in New York City. We are here, of course, with Marcy Allen, and we are now joined on mic by musician, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Mr. Taylor Bennett. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, we're really pleased to have yeah. you. So uh, I'll start off the questioning just by asking, uh, so Urban Outfitters, huh? Yeah. Urban Outfitters, <laughs> right? <laughs> Is that what you're rocking right now? Um, oh, oh, that doesn't oh, come out yet. That doesn't. Yeah, out yet. it's not out yet. I just went to the store to check it out. It wasn't <laughs> out. All right. So what I'd like to ask is, how does a partnership like this fit into your own personal business ethos? How you have envisioned your career as you've gone along? Because you've really taken a lot of control over your career, a lot more than a lot of other artists at your level. So how does this fit into the vision that you've had? And, and want to have going forward? Um, well, I think that, you know, I'm an artist, and I think that one thing that's always important, no matter if you're a rapper, an entertainer, a doctor, a janitor, is to just be yourself. Um, you want to always, you know, um, always be 100% yourself. And I came out um, that I was bisexual, I think, about two months ago um, on Twitter, and I got some very, very great support about that. And this felt like something that was connecting to me. But then as well, I grew up going to Urban Outfitters since I was a kid, um, since I was in seventh grade. And I think that the clothes that they sell there is less of, um, you know, these are some swagged out pants. These are some cool vans, but more of this is a lifestyle. And I think that it's a culture. And I think there's a certain group of people when I was growing up that it very much related to. And I was one of those people that I definitely correlated with. So I was, I was very down. I love urban outfitters. I always like their uh, very expensive toys and all types of, you know, <laughs> shit like that. So <laughs> urban outfitters is it's dope. And, you know, I'm very proud to be a part of the family. And how, and how does this connect in terms of um, all the things that you have envisioned your career coming to, to this point, how does this fit into the way you wanted things to go and, and kind of all the ingredients in the recipe. Um, I think that this is something that one benefits, um, 
Glisten, which is, you know, um, obviously for anti-bullying, which I think is dope. I think that, you know, a message that I always want to push to my fans is to be yourself. And I think that there's certain people that don't allow you to be yourself. And I think that sometimes you need that creative space where you can go in and you can get that done. So, um, you know, I think that's helpful. But I think also as well as impacting my image for people that, you know, see me do things like that, I think it will inspire other artists and maybe not even other artists, but people to, you know, lend in a hand. So... You've probably gotten this a lot before, but you're pretty beyond your years. I mean, in the sense that... Wow, no, I haven't. I'm just buzzing. <laughs> Don't even matter. Let me be the first to tell you My that's public, you are <laughs> ball. pretty ball. beyond your years. Thank I you mean, very much. Uh, you, you do a tremendous amount to support people uh, that are um, also emerging artists. Uh, Thank you. you are, uh, you're representing yourself as yeah. an artist, which is... I can't even imagine how difficult it is to get to the stage that you are in. Um, And then two months ago, you're coming out as a bisexual hip hop artist, which is not the community that has traditionally been supportive of that stance. Yeah. And now the collaboration with urban outfitters is also a line that embraces supports and gives back to the community. Yeah, definitely is very happy. I'm just going to go ahead and go ahead. uh, Do one of these. Thank you. And I just I think, wanted to get that right out the way, right? It I mean, is, and it's it's. I, I want to give just a huge shout out to Taylor, but also to to Urban Outfitters. I mean, there mm-hmm. have not been a lot of brands that have come and supported urban artists and and this platform. And this was goes back to what we were discussing early earlier. Authenticity. The story that is being told here was so natural. It was authentic, and it was a win win. On both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, Urban Outfitters was looking for an ambassador for a face of uh, their pride campaign and, and for the next month. And to be able to, to partner with an unbelievable artist like Taylor really just elevated Urban Outfitters, but also gave Taylor Bennett the ability to be able to do a music video, to give back, which is so important to him, to glisten. I mean, there's just so many wins on both sides. How do you think that you got on the radar for this campaign? Um, I believe that we were in L.A., and um, I think Urban Outfitters wanted to meet, and I don't think it had anything to do with this. Um, It might have actually been before I came out. But um, I think they just wanted to meet. They wanted to get to know me. Um, I think they were fans of my music. Um, and they just wanted me to come through. And we couldn't do it. I was there for my brother. He had, you know, won the Grammys and whatever. So we were out there. We were hanging out. We couldn't. Right. And, what, and whatever. Are you? And, my brother uh, <laughs> won the Grammy. Sure. And um, <laughs> we were out there. We didn't get a chance to meet up. So I think a little bit later we ended up. Um, getting in touch and, you know, Mac, you know, really, um, you know, they're always standing by me and they, you know, helped to get this together. And it sounded like a great, you know, opportunity. I was just happy. But I want to add on that because I think it's important what he's saying. I mean, a lot of artists just sit back and think, oh, the brand deals are just going to fall in my lap. You have to work for them. And, you know, Taylor, they went down to Urban Outfitters headquarters, met with everybody, you know, made sure that they knew the person that he is, the artist that he is, the philanthropist, the entrepreneur, and knew everything about him. And that's really important. And he he told his story and then Urban Outfitters was able to tell their story. So it, it started small and then the conversations continued to grow. But you know, not a lot of artists would do that. Take time out of their busy touring schedule. I mean, you were right in the middle of, of tour. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was hard to wake up when you're you were touring. rolling in yeah. hot. I think with yeah. like the, the bus out back yeah. and. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Casey's over there laughing, yeah. but cause she was there with them. But, but that's like, that was so that's, I love it. Like, that's what gives me goosebumps. That's what, those are the kind of deals that are, that are so successful. You say, what's, what do I think is a win? These kind of deals. It's not about the dollar figure. It's not about mm-hmm. the awards it wins. It's not about the amount of press it gets. It's just about how the authenticity and the relationship between the brand and artist. So what made you say yes to the deal? Um, <clears throat> well, like I said, uh, it was something that reached back definitely to my community. Um, and, you know, as well as that, you know, I'm a fan of Urban Outfitters. I've thought they were dope for a while. Um, as a kid, I couldn't always afford everything they had, but mm-hmm. I loved it. And, um, you know, when I got the opportunity and, you know, it was kind of like killing two birds with one stone, I thought we'd go for it. And um, I couldn't be happier with the results. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, from my community that even are back in Chicago that, you know, were astounded at, you know, what Matt could do for us as well in terms of, you know, plugging us. So, um, you know, I think it was a great move and I'm very happy with how it's worked out. So for you, how much of what you're doing right now, how much of what you're putting together is just about having the conversation of who you are and how much is you looking forward and saying, okay, um, what do I need to do to get in front of the people to have that conversation? Where, where's that falling for you? Um, Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that's what you were saying a little bit earlier. You know, it kind of gets difficult because, you know, I don't I'm not signed to a label. I'm an independent artist. I have my own label, Tabin Entertainment. Um, And, you know, we do everything ourselves. So, you know, we do split sheets. So we're always worried about the business. But, you know, what always comes on top of that is, you know, the kind of person that I am, what kind of artist I am, what kind of vision I have for myself, not just as a brand, but, you know, my morals and, you know, what I will and what I won't do. So I would say it's about 50 50. (laughs) And he really does practice, Taylor practices what he preaches. I mean, he's about giving back. I mean, I taught a branding class at NYU, Clive Davis this semester and his manager, Joseph KB and, and him came and again, right middle of tour and took, (laughs) took the time to come and speak to the class for over an hour. And we thought we were going to get him for 20 minutes and, and he didn't leave until he'd answered every question from, um, every student in the class. And it just, I mean, and we had 35 speakers and I haven't even told you this. I was going to send you a note, but we had 35 (laughs) speakers and all the, um, all my students wrote like their top five speakers and literally almost every single person said Taylor. And it wasn't just because you're an artist. Oh, that's crazy. It I wasn't, it that. was, it was because they, they knew how busy you were and they knew that you were taking the time for them and they Maybe. were 18 and 19 years old. But what, and, and I have goosebumps cause this is really cute. But one of the 18 year olds wrote, it's the only speaker that professor Allen that you had that I could really relate to because we were so close in age and I realized, and he showed me that I could do anything. Thank you. Wow. Mm-hmm. I wish I had known that before I got here. Right. Thank you. I'm goosebumps. <laughs> I'd like to point out that the two of you have had the most applause on this show ever. <laughs> oh, wow. No, Just compliments. Him. Just keep them coming. Let's keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. You had the emojis this morning. We were <laughs> Um, so just to build a little bit, um, I just lost the train. I thought a little bit there. I did it earlier. It's all good. Um, (laughs) it's open bar, right? Yeah. So (laughs) you you did turn 21, you said, right? Recently? Yeah, I did. Would you like a beer? No, we just brought a beer. beer? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. would. (laughs) Can we make that happen? That'd be awesome. Can someone on the side please grab an IPA? I'll, I'll take There's one. There's only two on tap. One's cider and one's an IPA. So. Yeah, no, I'm with the IPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, thanks. That bought me enough time to get back into it. Yep. Um, He's back with us. um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the the mentorship and the way that you are building and growing other people. So like both Pavan and I and Mark as well, um, we built to where we're at by helping people first. And so I love seeing other people with that in mind. And I'd just love to hear how you're making that come to life. All right. I don't want to say that that question was confusing, but it was kind of confusing. Yeah, no worries. Um, <laughs> so, so in terms of, you yeah. know, like you mean like the label or do you mean like... Yeah, um, so the, the okay. actual mentorship of other young artists. Yeah, um, well, I'll start it off like this. Um, I was one of the first artists in Chicago to do their own distribution. Um, I've never been a fan of big labels. I've never been a fan of parent companies. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I am a fan of IPA, though. Um, but, yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had never been a fan of giving up control. And I think that um, the only two things that, you know, very matter, like, you know, really matter in a deal, you know, is um, the um, economics and, you know, kind of like the money. Um, and, you know, I think that when I started embarking on basically this journey, I knew that I wanted to distribute my own music. And at the time I was working with a producer that had produced all my music. My brother doesn't sell his music. Um, we are all using SoundCloud. I'm sure everybody knows what SoundCloud is, right? Um, right? Yeah. Clap it up for SoundCloud. Clap it up. Um, but yeah, so basically everybody was using SoundCloud and I had gotten into this deal where the producer had told me, he said that, we're just going to record $15 an hour, you know, da, 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 and I'll do all the production on it. And I had no idea about split sheets. I knew nothing about masters, publishing, mechanicals, royalties. I knew nothing about that. And at the end, they kind of basically flipped the script because they were like, this is a really good album. And, you know, he'll probably get big off of this. And, you know, he's going to eventually blow up. And at that point, we want to have some kind of control. and We don't want to give this away for free, which were not my intentions when I first started. So then started to come up the conversation of, well, why don't we sell it? We want to sell it. Da, 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 da. Then they came back and they said, you know, we're a production company and, you know, this is our LLC and it's uh, blank, 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 bleep. And I was like, you know what? Um, I didn't want to do that. So me at the time I was 19, uh, my manager that's over there, Joseph KB, um, is also 19. He's my best friend. And, you know, I said, we're not going to let this go down like that. So what we did our research. We went on Wikipedia like anybody else in America does when they want to find out something, right? And um, we wanted to control, I knew I wanted to control the master recordings. I knew that I wanted to control the revenue from streamed music, which is Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, um, Amazon, Google Play, you name it. And in order to do that, I had to create an LLC and I had to form into a corporation, which is where we got the idea of making tape and entertainment as a record label. Then further along down the line, I realized that when you make a project, technically there's 400%. But if you just think about it as 100%, the producer, if he produces every song, he owns 50%. If I write the composition, which is the lyrics and I'm the vocals, I own 50% of the project, right? But every single time you have a feature, so I had Chance the Rapper on there, my older brother. Um, I had Jordan Brad, and I had these different guys. You start losing percentages, right? And I did not want that to happen. So what we ended up having to do is that we ended up having to have these conversations because I wanted to keep the leverage with the producer and um, get these artists to understand or do work for hires with them so I can hold up my 50-50. So if there's something I don't want to do, I don't have to do it. 
Um, so in the midst of that, we found out how to do split sheets. Um, we found out how to split the masters, the publishing, the percentage of the royalties. Um, we learned about mechanicals and all those kind of things. So after that, we ended up doing a great contract. So now I have 100% administration, so not the other 50 side of his revenue, but they can't do anything without me wanting them to. And these are also way older guys that have been in the industry for a long time. So they were pissed, right? Um, but basically, after all of this went down, I had this label now, I had this LLC, and I knew how to do split sheets, and I knew all of these things, and I thought to myself, is this something that I want to keep to myself? Because the typical rapper, they don't think about that. They sign label deals. They sign to a label. I have my own label. I don't have a parent company. They don't care. They don't know. They get an advance. It's a recoupment. They end up possibly not making it back. They end up being broke. This is why you hear all these stories. And to have all this knowledge... Why not teach other artists about these things? And that was the creation of Tabin Entertainment. Here, 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 here. I, I see what you mean about the story. There's a story. So, with he is a, the story. With distributors, like massive distributors, the Sonys of the world, right? Right. They only deal with agencies currently, right? Probably like 16 or 17 different agencies. How are you having those conversations and dealing with the hurdles that exist there? Okay. Well, um, we distribute through TuneCore. So there's platforms now. So, you know, there's not just um, distribution and publishing companies. There are these websites, basically. And the way that that works is that let's say we know somebody at Title because it's all about placement. When you go to Title, sometimes you go to their playlist on Spotify, right? And mm -hmm. you click on these uh, playlists and you find new music because you're yep. just going through it, right? So it's about knowing those people and you use these platforms like TuneCore and um, uh, all these other different you know, kind of platforms that you don't have to sign a contract for. And all you have to do is pay $10 and then you get your music up there. Then you talk to this guy, you get the placement, and that way now you're kind of competing with the majors in terms of working with other labels, you know, labels, you know, they come to us all the time because now, you know, Taylor Bennett has a sold out tour. Taylor Bennett works with Mac. Taylor Bennett <laughs> works with, you know, Urban Outfitters and, you know, um, is making all these big songs with these big artists. And when they come to us, because we do have Taylor Bennett Entertainment as a label, we have, um, you know, the leverage to talk about exactly what deals that we want. And, you know, to sit down at these tables and I go to these labels all the time and I'm just like, you guys have so much more money than me. Give me money. Right? <laughs> so uh, that's basically, you know, that's how that works out. <laughs> just, just looking around a boardroom and windows. Being like, yeah. <laughs> so so with, with fashion, you are now in the fashion industry. There's no doubt. Very um, well webbed into it, in fact. With Urban Outfitters, they're very current. They're a great brand, as you mentioned. Yeah. So now, what's next in fashion? What are you thinking? Um, you know, I I want to do something that always is positive. You know, everything that you know I do. You know, I don't really look at deals for the amount of money. I look at them for you know what is going to make my fan base say this makes sense. This is a good move. Mm -hmm. And we can understand why I did it. And not just for my fan base, but anybody that looks. So, I mean, I have no idea what's next. Um, It'll have to present itself. See, I love Gucci. Um, is, that what that, is that what's happening here? That's, that's a little bit of what's happening here. <laughs> Do we have anyone, a Gucci guy here? No. <laughs> Gucci's not in the house, are they? <laughs> not Can't today. Be. Not today, right? We'll introduce you to a couple people. Oh, that wow. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so this seems as good a point as any to go on to the next part of our show, which is... And now, it's time for Questions Off the Grid, with fashion is your business. That's right, Off the Grid Questions, where we ask questions, frankly, a little off the grid, a little more personal in nature. We have no idea what we're going to ask. We have no idea what our co-hosts are going to ask, much less the order we're going to ask them in. And we solve that with a spin of our gigantic prize wheel like wheel of grid destiny. All right, so uh, we're going to spin the wheel and see which one of us is going to ask the question. What we'll do is ask one question that applies to both guests. So spinning the wheel, and the okay. first question comes to Rob. All right, I was not at all thinking it would be one question for two guests. Um, yeah, that does change the whole thing. Oh, it changed the whole game. Um, <laughs> All right, so I'll ask it in many subparts that was really confusing, and then you just roll with it. How about that? Seems uh, like that was the, the track first time anyway. that would happen in yeah. the show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I love to hear about people's childhoods, where, where they came from, um, and how that influenced who they are now. So for both of you, I'd love to hear a little bit about how the house you grew up in shows up now in your life. That is an excellent question. That was a great question. I thought it was going to be a funny Hey, question. Rob, great question, bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, do you want to go first? Or sure. I go first? Okay. I'll go first. Give you an idea to think about it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I bounced around a lot um, before I moved in with my grandmother and grandfather. So I went to 16 schools before fifth grade. So I don't remember really any of the houses. Um, but I remember... Uh, the house then when I moved in with my, my grandparents in high school and I have so many, they both have passed away since passed away. And I have so many of their, um, belongings in my apartment here in New York. And so this is like a random story, but when you say, what does it mean to you? And it, um, I have a lot of art. I have a lot of expensive art. That's kind of what I spend my money on. Wouldn't have cared if anything had been damaged, stolen by the movers, but there was a green uh, ceramic frog smoking a pipe, <laughs> and it broke, in, and it's about this big, and it broke into, like, mm. 15 pieces, and I was a puddle because it was my grandmother's, and it sat um, on her nightstand. Mm. And so now I am trying to figure out how I can professionally pay someone to put it back together. And I think it just goes back to the things in childhood that in your childhood, um, you don't realize how much they affect you and how much they mean to you. And again, it goes to no amount of money, no, nothing is going to bring back that pipe smoking frog. Um, but it, it, it's the memory of my grandmother and, and grandfather and the wonderful high school years that I had after having traveled around so much as a youngster. Beat that Taylor. I was just about to say, that's all I was thinking the whole time. I was like, wow, this story just got insanely good at one point. I don't know what to say. Um, well, yeah, you know, I think that I spent probably like the first 14 years of my life, which is more than half of my life for anybody that knows how young I am. I'm oh, lucky guy. Right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I grew up there with, uh, clearly with my family, but, you know, with my brother. And those were the times that I think that, we really got a chance to, you know, learn each other. Those are like, you know, the years, because I mean, as we got older, you know, we're touring, we're always out of town. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not like the, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like, I guess, like typical life. Um, we both, we basically, you know, bought our old house. So my aunt lives in the old house that we grew up in. 
And it is, you know, it's just like um, the first neighborhood, the first times that, you know, when I was walking around, these are like things that, you know, I don't really get to do anymore. Um, and every single time I go back, I just basically, you know, kind of remember the freedom, the idea to go to the park, the idea to walk up the street to the beauty su supply store. Sorry, that's IPM. Um, but, you know, um, it just my old home kind of reminds me of freedom. And, you know, that's something that I think that um, me and my brother miss a lot. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Thank you. Good job. And good job, Rob. Yeah. Nice question. That was a that's great a question. Good question. Right. I felt like it was an automated question. Yeah. <laughs> the bar has been raised. Right, I'm going to spin the wheel of Great Destiny. And the wheel has arrived at me. And... Uh, <laughs> Is this an imaginary wheel? Let's see the it's wheel. It's very real for mine. It's, it's real. Right. It's in my head. Yeah. Actually, I was pretty surprised at that one. So, yeah. <laughs> when we were recording in Las Vegas, it just seemed to fit so well. So, okay, uh, my question for both of you is: um, What is something in your life at any point that you came very, very close to doing and just didn't? It could be that you almost accidentally did something, or it could be that you purposefully were just about to do something that was monumental, and then you just didn't for whatever reason. I'll let you lead off. Yes. Yeah, you okay. had Snickers Taylor. in the corner, so I'm assuming something's going on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the closest thing that um, I've ever come to doing and just didn't do it was I think um, I didn't want to be a rapper anymore. Um, I got to a point where I was in high school and I was 18 and I no longer, I mean, I love school. Weird kid, love school, uh, popular kid too. I really only like school because not a weird kid. That meant that school. I got to see everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I got to a point where I had to decide if I was going to go to college or if I was going to pursue this career that, you know, might not really work out. And um, I really thought very hard. I even applied to schools. I took, uh, you know, college trips to go check out campuses and I was going to go to school. And it was like a very, very weird phase for me because I was thinking about all these things. And I think at the end of the day, the reason why I didn't do it was because I thought, you know, nobody wants to wake up 43 and, you know, say, what if, what if this happened? What if that happened? Ooh, and, that's uh, my age. Hit it, huh? yeah. All right, 68. That's right. <laughs> 77. Right. Thanks, Is Taylor. Somebody oh, my God. Do you, how, how are you learning now? You said what? How are you learning now? How am I learning now? Um, I think that the reason why I actually didn't go to school is because my college counselor, believe it or not, said that college is about real-world skills. It's about learning that mm -hmm. you have to have your homework done by this time. You have to do these things. And if you don't do them, then there will always be a price to pay. And he told me that he thought that that was something that I already had. Um, and he said wow. that, you know, and yeah, and college counselor won't say what high school I went to because of that because he told me not to go to college but I also went to a school that I guess this might be kind of giving it away but was 100% college acceptance so I was that like 99% wow yeah not welcome back there huh <laughs> not really <laughs> <laughs> no I'm kidding uh, quick question uh, what's the earliest I don't mean to put you on the spot but what's the it's earliest okay. rap you remember from your whole career do you have any that go way back that you still can like just spit out like that? Yeah, um, I guess so. Do it. 
Um, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> if, cool. I, I'm trying to put you on the spot, but if you would, that'd be great. Yeah, no. If I was if I was a rapper and I didn't like getting split on the spot, I wouldn't be a rapper. Sorry, let um, me get my Snapchat out. Hold on. Speeding like a racer. Let me get his ticket. Riding in my steamer, got my life inside my backpack. Speeding toward my paradise while chiefing on the loud pack. Kurt Cobain, sipping, screaming, drink this cup, I'm on that. Feeling, dreaming, thinking about something. Yeah, that's all I got. I'm sorry. That was not good. That wasn't good. That's what I'm talking about. Thank Maybe you. at the end, I'll do just a verse that is not my oldest verse. Because, first of all, I'm drinking this IPA. Second of all, I uh, just got a lot on my Thank, head. thank you very much. No problem. <laughs> Marcy, I mean, what's I your could, first rap? I can totally rap right now. <laughs> I was going to say, do it. I was waiting for her to pick do it up. That's probably not Y'all have no idea that I know all these songs. Um, no. Question. We, we, we asked the question. No. Uh, okay, no. so my question is, what, when's, what is the time in your life in which you came very close to doing something and then you, you just stopped short of that? Well, and, and, and it'll continue on. So it was 1997. I was working for Live Nation um, as director of marketing in Washington, D.C. And I, uh, and you'll crack up, I, I got the uh, opportunity to interview with who I thought was probably one of the most powerful women in the music industry and had been a mentor. <laughs> her name was Kara Lewis. And I was going to go work for her. Um, as her assistant. And then um, my grandfather passed away and my grandmother told me she never really understood, even though I could say it in a sentence, what I did. She never really understood what I did. She kind of thought I was in the circus, like, cause I was working on festivals. She just, she didn't get it. <laughs> and she said, you know, you just need to come on home now. Like you've enough playing with those, those musicians. You need to come on home now and, and be with your family. And so, um, I always regretted, like, that's probably my only regret in life, not moving to New York at, at that time in 97, but I was so glad that I went home and was able to spend another 10 years with my grandmother before she passed away. So in 2000, um, a year after she passed away, uh, in, in 2010, I packed a truck up in the snow with my dogs. Um, and I had recently been divorced and said, you know what, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. And that's moved to New York city. And I did it. All right. Lucky us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, spinning the wheel a final time. Who, oh, who could it come to? And it is Puffin. It's Taylor. It never I comes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, do I get to ask him? <laughs> sure. So both of you guys have um, very strong life purposes, or it seems, underlying messages. So, Marcy, um, I'm referencing a YouTube clip I watched of you in the you opened it up with, uh, there's a special place in hell for women that don't help other women. And then you talked about stuff that had nothing to do with that. But it's Madeline Albright. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Started off with the quote. Um, Taylor yourself. I mean, it's, we talked about it before. You do a lot of work to support artists under you and the community that, um, that is underserved and quite misunderstood. So I want to know, I guess... I'm curious about if you close your eyes, like what, what type of daydreams or night dreams have you had that you are at the pinnacle of success of being that spokesperson or that voice for the community that you want to support? That was like so well worded because your IPA is like right here. Yo, right? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Let me try, let me try it again. 
<laughs> if you were to close your eyes and imagine like the pinnacle yeah. of being a spokesperson for the communities that you want to support and propel and you have been, what would that be? Um, <laughs> I love this guy. Oh um, Drop the mic. He had, I had this weird conversation last night with um, a guy that I work with very closely. His name's Matt Bond. Um, he owns a company named Treble. Quick plug real quick. Just playing. Absolutely. Um, but basically... It was about a famous P. Diddy quote, which is, don't chase the money, chase the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's so important because I got drunk enough last night to openly ask him. I said, what is the difference between an imagination right, and a dream? Like, What is something different between what you would imagine and something that's a dream? And I think that the difference is that a dream is something that you can see. And I think that when you imagine something, that's something that you have to have set placements in order to get there, right? Um, and a lot of people, you know, like they say, oh, I can imagine that I'm doing da-da-da-da-da. Or, you know what? I keep saying imagine. Sorry, IPA. It meant to say idea. So anybody that can catch that. Um, but no, like if you have an idea, you know, you have an idea and you have all these things that you have to do to place that in order. But the dream is something that's vivid. You might not know how to get there, but you know what it is. And you'll know when you finally get there. And um, I think that that's something that, you know, I've always wanted to preach to my community from where I'm from, from the south side of Chicago, which is, you know, don't, uh, got an IPA too, I see, um, <laughs> is do not chase money. Don't chase mm-hmm. opportunities. Chase your dreams. Because only you will know what your dream feels like. Nobody else will be able to tell you. Only you. You know what I'm saying? No, you didn't answer the question. Uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> are you just going for more applause? Is that what you're doing? No, no, I am going for more applause. You killed the thought. You did not okay. touch the question. Can you say it one so, more yeah. time? What's your dream? for supporting your communities, whether it's emerging artists underneath you or the LGBTQ? Okay, um, I guess, okay, that, I'm sorry. I think <laughs> the first time when he said it, he said a bunch of he right, did, he thank you. It. All right, we're on the same yeah, team. Yeah, no, he yeah. changed okay. it. Um, <laughs> no, I was, I was just going to say. Um, sorry, he changed it. <laughs> thank you. Um, we have a tape and we're going to check this tape. I think that uh, my dream for artists under me, like I said a little bit earlier, is to be able to understand the business, to be able to sell their product, to be able to market their product how they want to market their product, whether it's knowing their split sheets, whether it's knowing um, what venues and how to book their venues, any of that. Now, I think it's a big question to ask somebody, you know, for the LGBTQ community, you know, what's your dream? But I think that we all want something that I don't think is too much to ask, which is just equality. Um, and that's my dream, is to be able to live in a world where nobody looks at you a certain way when you walk down the street, to be able to talk the way you want to talk, dress the way you want to dress. And I think most of all, like I said when I started, just be yourself. I think that's yeah. an attainable dream. There's the applause. There's the applause. Nice. So I'm going to be a little bit more specific because I've thought about this for years. I really want to go because similar to what Taylor said, don't chase the money or P did, excuse me, but Taylor re- reiterated. Taylor. Um, <laughs> I have had opportunities to go to big agencies, big companies and have, have turned it down, have left millions. I actually can't even think about it because I could have bought a lot of pair of shoes and a lot of purses, but it's not what it's about. And, but I personally want to go, um, 
where no woman has gone in the entertainment space with their own company. There's very few female-owned businesses in the music industry, and I want to one day sell my company for so much money. And it's not about the money because then I'm going to have a lot of fun giving it away. And then I want to be a professor, and I want to help. Thank you. (laughs) I want to help create not only female leaders, but obviously male leaders too. I I don't want to be gender specific, but I just, I look at my career and I didn't really have besides Kara Lewis and Marsha Velasic, two female agents in the music industry. I didn't have a lot of people that helped me. And I think that all anyone needs in the music industry is one shot. It takes one shot. It takes one song. It takes one deal. It takes one meeting. It takes one mic, one mic, (laughs) one mic, one mic. So I'm very excited about that day where I don't have to work the crazy hours that I work. And all I am going to be remembered as is someone who gives back and has continued to teach the leaders in the music industry. That's what I'm excited about. All right. Cool. All right. Now, at this point in the show, sometimes we ask for a final thought. It seems weird to do that because that was so awesome, but I'm still going to extend the opportunity. And since you just went, I'm going to start with Taylor. So, Taylor, uh, if you'd like to wow. share. Now, it can be a final thought. It can be uh, reflecting on this interview. It can be uh, about the kind of partnerships that you, you know, between uh, music and brands, or it can just be on anything that you'd like to share. All right. I don't want to be that guy that says nothing. Um, we need another rap. Right? Can, we, can I just <laughs> yeah. do that? Can that 100%. be my final thought? Yeah. Um, all right. No, I need it. Uh, I had to show him that I'm not a little bro. I can't fall for no future that's frivolous. My shoulders got broader. My music got smarter. I work like the shit was a privilege. Them that's so facing imprisonment. All of this work in my catalog fidgeting. I took a break like it's bad on my ligaments. Two months in Cali, back in my residence. Listen when God sends his messages. I made a masterpiece. I'm from America. That shit hysterical. That shit unbearable. I seen some things you adjusted was terrible. Nice and nice and nice. And said I start smoking. I just keep on buying. And know why I feel to be stuck in environments. Know why I feel not to reach your requirements. I've been so foolish and stirred great. Hummingbird stuck in a bird's cage Cigarette, cigarette, cigarettes Losing my voice at a slow pace Marlboro Reds on my worst days Only sober on my birthdays 20 trying to make an earthquake Just put down a lease on my first place Still at home like a third base I ain't even got a workspace Working where we trap and serve at Surveillance on me, I can merch it More than God staring from the surface More than demons, goblins, any surface Said my conscience trying to make me nervous It's my karma coming for my verses More better blues till I'm worthless Till my teeth gone, I'm a sleep wrong, I'ma keep knowing I got a purpose. If I'm sleep on, I'ma keep on till my arms break from the jerking. When we all lost, when we all fall, I'ma look at Jesus to observe him. He's coming, he's coming, I heard him. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. That's it? That That's was it? the one I can remember. That's it. That's it. That's Nicely done, sir. Nicely done, sir. Okay, so that just topped my uh, frog smoking. Okay, that's fine. smoking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still going to extend the offer. I mean, I so could rap, but I'm not going to do that because I would embarrass everyone. And you can't rap when you're next to an artist. No. Um, 
that those were my college days when I would stand up on the bar and rap. <laughs> you know, this is the second time you've threatened to rap. Yeah, I really would I like know, to hear. Because it. I so want to going to. You got to find her a proper stage, huh? Yeah, uh, we'll her up. No, I'm the worst singer. Oh my god, y'all would all go running. Um, I, I th- what? Oh yes. <laughs> what? In in my jeep. Oh, I, I okay. I thought that was the name my... of the song you rapped. No, okay. I, 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 <laughs> that's what I thought it was. Casey, Casey knows <laughs> I usually rap to Jay Z in my Jeep. So. Mm. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm red. Um, I think that the last thought that I I want to say is is something that I really wish, besides my grandmothers that instilled this in me, that that someone had told me that you really can do anything. But more importantly, you can't wait around and let people do it for you. You have to go out and you have to grab it. And so I say to anyone who's listening, um, get up, get off your sofa, um, go make that song, go get that interview, go send an email to the executive that you want to work for, go read that article, figure out who's doing what you want to do and and grab it and seize it because it's not going to fall in your lap. Excellent. Thank you very much. So, uh, Taylor, how can people connect with you and your music? Um, You guys can find me anywhere, Apple Music, Tidal, Google, Amazon, whatever. Um, Just search Taylor Bennett, and then you guys can find me on Twitter at underscore Taylor Bennett and on Instagram at Taylor Bennett um, and my Facebook. It's personal, but I'll accept you because this was very cool. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And, Marcy, how can people connect with you and with Mac Presents? Um, Mac presents. We are on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I am personally on Twitter, Marcy Allen, and on LinkedIn as well as Marcy Allen. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much to both of you, Taylor Bennett and Marcy Allen, for just a wonderful interview. Uh, thank you very much. How about a big round of applause, everybody, for these two great people? That is the end of this episode of Fashion Is Your Business. Thank you very much to our partner, Peer Space, and to both of our incredible guests. For Rob Sanchez. Good night, y'all. And Puffin Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, to Fashion Is Your Business live on location at Subculture in New York City. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next time. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.